if I met you right after the service this morning and I said to you, listen, tomorrow I need you to meet me at 7 a.m. sharp, don't be late, at Reverie Roasters. Don't be late. You would likely have a response and you would say, okay. Uh, but you would want to know something. You would say, well, can you tell me the reason? I'd like to know. You, you, you might think, you know, I, you're a pastor, and you're kind of like the principal of the school, and so am I in trouble? Did, I, did something happen? <laughs> you would want to know the reason behind that. You, you would want to say, look, there, there's obviously some intention behind why you want to meet. Now, let me, let me set that up as a metaphor. You and I would ask that if anyone made that kind of request of us. And why, though, do we not ask that same kind of question about our entire life? What's that purpose behind our entire life? How do we bring that same intentionality to our life? Now, many people I've discovered live their life, even many people who would say, I'm a follower of Jesus, and yeah, but don't actually know why. Don't actually have a, a motivating and a moving and a driving purpose. And I want to talk to you about that today. I want to give you, if I can this morning, from the words of Jesus, as we start this new sermon series, uh, a, a vision, from, again, from Jesus for your existence on planet Earth. And also, along with it, a vision for our future together as a church. So I want to invite you, if you would, to stand with me. We read the scriptures out loud every week if you're new, and uh, I read it aloud. Everyone follows along on the screen. Uh, you can, as I read it aloud. This is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus told them, this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing out of reverence for God's word. Now, I recognize that when I say, hey, today we're going to talk about vision, that what you might think, some people have this map in their heads about what vision is. You, you might say, okay, well, you're going to, okay, great. Uh, you're going to give us the master plan you're going to tell us what's going to happen in the next, you know, 10 years. Uh, you're going to paint out what it's going to look like and what it's going to feel like. And, and there's a component of that. We'll talk about some of that during the message today. If you've been around here, this is nothing new. You'll know that we're going to talk about why we want to reach 1% of Wichita and, and have multiple campuses around our, reason, our, our region and be a resourcing church that develops leaders. We'll talk about that in the message and then after the, in the all-church meeting after, we'll more details about that. So I, I don't want so, so much want to talk about, here's the master plan, uh, because we don't know what's going to happen in the next 10 years. We don't know where culture. 
is going to go. We don't know what difficulties are going to come into people's lives. So I want to talk about what we do know over the next 10 years. Here's what we do know will be happening 10 years from today. I can just guarantee it for you. I can guarantee you that in 10 years, people are still going to be struggling with their sense of purpose in life. People are still going to be struggling with themselves. People are still going to be struggling with their relationships. If they're single, if they're married, if they've got kids, we know that's going to be happening. And so what I want to do today is paint a vision for that. How could a vision for our city and for our, the people in our city, a vision for our church, our life together, and your, your specific life under God. And I want to invite you into something that's deep and lasting. I want to pause, though, because this is an important, uh, it's always important when we pay attention to what Jesus says. I just feel the weight of it this morning. And so could you pause with me? And I just want to offer a prayer for our time together. Lord, uh, we need our hearts and minds open so we can see what you see. We came in with all kinds of clutter. We came in with relational clutter. We came in with mental clutter. We came in with emotional clutter. We came in with clutter from the past. Lord, we want to, for just a minute, would you help us to set that aside and open our eyes so that we can see what you see and the beauty and the goodness and the grace that you want to pour into us from seeing what you see. So we ask that through the power of your Holy Spirit this morning. And all God's people said, amen. Well, I want to show you this passage because I'm not talking just about this one story that Jesus tells, but there's actually three stories that Jesus tells in this whole chapter in the gospel of Luke chapter 15. And, and I want to show you this passage because it's really important. It's at the heart of what God values. And then I want to give you three implications for us as a church. So there's three stories about what God values. These, are, these describe the intention of God to go into the heart of human need. There's the story we just read, the story of the lost sheep and the shepherd who has 100 sheep and he leaves 99 because one has wandered off and he goes and he finds the sheep and rejoices. And then, then Jesus goes right into another story about a woman who had 10 coins. You can think about a mother who's trying to, a single mom who's trying to feed her kids and she's got 10 coins and she loses one. A, a mother, a single mother, any mother would be frantic. You know, I, how am I going to pay my bills? And she loses one, and she sweeps the whole house, and she tells everybody to get their feet up off the ground, and don't turn the vacuum cleaner on. And, and she finds the coin and has the same response as the shepherd, calls her friends and says, rejoice with me. I, I lost the coin. I wasn't sure I'd be able to pay my water bill, but I found it rejoice with me. And Jesus says, and, and there's, in the same way, there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who is found and repents than anyone who's already found. And then, then Jesus launches into maybe his most famous story uh, in Luke chapter 15, the story of what we call the prodigal son. That's actually our title for the story. It's not actually in the original text, but because it's actually a story about two sons and a father. And, and in each of these three stories, the rightful leader finds what's missing. And, and together what they do is they paint a vision of joining God in his redemptive work. In other words, Jesus is communicating through these stories, listen, this is what God does. 
And in understanding what it is that God does in the world, it begins to give us a bigger purpose, a a kingdom of God-sized purpose, and begins to paint a picture for our future. Now, I don't want you to miss something that's incredibly important in each of these stories, these three stories Jesus tells, because in each of these stories, they're, they're represented by, there's one, there's one in each story. There's one sheep, there's one coin, there's one son, and another son, that there's always one. I, one of my favorite uh, musicals, I don't like a lot of music, Sound of Music, anyone? Yeah, okay. Uh, favorite movie, don't judge me. But one of my favorite musicals uh, is Les Miserables. You know, this is based on a novel that's about this thick from Victor Hugo that I'm uh, about five years later still working my way through because it's hard to read, so watch the movie or, or go see it on Broadway if you've ever seen this on Broadway. But if you watch the movie with Hugh Jackman and uh, you hear all the songs and you know that it's a story about this man who was a, a stole a piece of bread and he was sent off to prison to pay off the bread and then he breaks free. Jean Valjean is his name. And if you've heard the musical or watched the movie with Hugh Jackman, you know that he was prisoner number what? Those of you who know what? He was number 24601, right? And if you've, again, watched the musical or seen the movie, you know that he's, in, he's chased all the way through the movie by Inspector Javert, who, who cannot get over, who's the legalist, who can't get over the fact that this man has done what's wrong. And, he's, and it's a beautiful, beautiful story of redemption and grace. But he refers to Jean Valjean as... 24601, he just gives him a number. He just uh, slots him into a place. And I, I think that's a great picture because often that's the best that humanity can do is, is you and I end up just being a number. Anybody ever been laid off? You feel like a number. Like I'm not important. I don't matter. You, the, sometimes the best we can do as human beings is to dehumanize people and, and basically say to them, you're disposable. But here's the vision that Jesus is painting in each of these three stories. He's saying, you are a one. You're not a number. You're not 24601 or 24602. You're a one. You have a name and a story and a hope. And so it's even from this chapter that we get our vision as a church. If you've been here for a while and you've heard us talk about how we want to reach 1% of Wichita, literally from the math in this first story about the sheep. You take 100 and you lose 1. 1 is what percent of 100? It's 1%, right? And I read the story and it's like, well, shouldn't a local church reflect the heart of Jesus? And if Jesus is like, well, 1%, shouldn't we go after that? But bigger than even that is Jesus is here communicating something about the heart of of God and the kind of spirituality that he brings into the world that's personal and will suffer for you and searches for you and then moves you and I to do the same thing. Now, Jesus uses a very unique word to describe the condition of all these, the, the lost she, the sheep and the, the coin and the son, and it's the same word. I just said it and shouldn't have said it, but I just said it. I gave away the surprise, right? It's the word lost. Let me, let me frame that for you. Lost is a value word, not a label word. Uh, we, when my wife and I got married, I went and I spent um, a month, you know, what was it you're supposed to do? Is it like three months or six months? I don't know what it is. I, I, I spent that much salary, which was not much, 
at the time, and went and bought my wife a wedding ring. And uh, there came a day when uh, she lost that wedding. No fault of her own. You know how things, I, I mean, I lose things all the time. But she lost her wedding ring. And when we found the wedding ring, we didn't put a label on it and say, look, there's the lost ring. No, the fact that it was lost is the reason we were searching for it is because it was so valuable. We didn't give it a label. It was was valuable. Because here's what we do is we've, especially in the Christian church, we've often taken this story from Jesus and this word lost that he uses to describe the sheep and the coin and the sons. And, and we've turned it into a label that we put onto people. Oh, oh, sh- oh, she's lost. Oh, he's lost. And we mean well, I, I know our heart's right, but what happens is we often turn a person who's made in God's image into some sort of problem to be solved or some project to take on. And, and it's not that for Jesus. For Jesus, it's a, it's a value word. There's the sheep and the sheep wanders off and that's bad because the sheep is valuable there's this coin and it's misplaced and that's bad because it's valuable there's these two sons and they both in a way leave or ignore their father or reject their father and that's bad because they're both valuable and so Jesus is saying listen the condition of being lost that they are in what that does it doesn't label them it highlights their value and Jesus is trying to communicate something about the heart of God saying here's what God does in the world God looks for what's valuable he doesn't put labels on the people now why why is it that the they're lost well, the Orthodox Christian understanding about why we get in the condition of being lost is, of course, sin. If you know anything about that word, where that comes from, it's, it's from a, 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 the Greek language, and it's a, a term from archery. You, you miss the mark. You either intentionally decide to hit a different mark, or just through lack of skill or ability or, or misunderstanding, you just don't hit the mark that you're aiming at. And, and I want to, that's, that's absolutely the case. I, I just want to give you a bit of more of a depth understanding about what's happening here. And it, it's what the early church, how they thought about sin, maybe in a way you haven't thought about sin, but the first three centuries of Christianity had a tendency, they, they would think about sin and they would talk about it as more like a wound or a disease. Prophet Jeremiah actually says this in, in the Old Testament. It's one of the Old Testament prophets who would tell the people of Israel where they were off the path. And he said this in Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 12. He said, listen, this is what the Lord says. Your wound is incurable. Your injury beyond healing. A wound. James in the New Testament, brother of Jesus, wrote one of the letters in the New Testament. This is what he said about, maybe you've not made this connection. He said, listen, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be what? Healed. So, class, what do you do when you have a wound? right? You heal it. So salvation then is healing. Now, we, we wrestle with that because when we think and hear the word sin, we think something akin to, well, a crime. You know, a crime was done. Something, a wrong act was done. And, and if, if that's the totality of what it means to sin, well, then the solution for that is, well, you should stop. Stop it. It's bad for you. Cut it out. Sin, and I'm not saying that sin is not sometimes an act like that. Absolutely it is, and forgiveness needs to be applied. But if, 
beneath that, if there's a wound or a dis-ease, then it needs healing. One of my cousins is a prison in the federal chaplain system. He's been a prison a, a chaplain for uh, many, many years. He was uh, actually a chaplain at the Supermax prison. He was a chaplain to some of the most infamous bombers and terrorists that you can think of a name of there in the Supermax facility in Florence, Colorado. And, and uh, he, he has taken a different take on why people go into prison, why they commit crimes. And he's been part of a program where it works to say, okay, we understand that you committed this horrible act. It's absolutely wrong and devastating. Could we pause, though, and ask why? And they've helped those inmates figure out, why, why did I do that when they're open to doing that exploration? Why, why do I do that? And here's the result, if you know anything about statistics in prisons, they call it the recidivism rate. The recidivism rate is the rate at which after you leave prison, you go back to prison. And it's in the double digits when someone's released. And the program that my cousin's been a part of, because they've tried to figure out, okay, we, we recognize that there's something in a person, a wound, a disease that, in the words of Jeremiah, is incurable and seems like it's beyond healing. They, they are experiencing an alienation from God and themselves and the world that they simply don't know how to heal. And so what they've done is they've gone looking for ways to heal it, and they've ended up where they weren't meant to be. And, and they've, they've developed this program, and now their recidivism rate's like 2%. Why? Because they've worked to heal it. Now, Jesus is saying, okay, right, it's a value word, and th there's a wound beneath, there's a dis-ease in us that causes us to go in the wrong direction, but, but that word loss, it's just a description of the human condition. You, you, know, you and I are not where we were meant to be. And you've either wandered off at points in your life, or you've felt like you're misplaced and misunderstood, pushed by the wayside, dropped under the couch, nobody noticing you. Or you've left and just ignored God or thought, I don't need God in my life. I don't need any of that kind of, I don't need anything like that. And so, you're, why? Well, like all of us, you're trying to heal this wound and you, you can't do it on your own. That's why the self-help industry, I mean, I'm all for self-help, but it's a billion-dollar industry because <laughs> people don't know how to heal the wound. They don't know how to figure out, get rid of the dis-ease. So, how in the world does it get healed? Well, here is what Jesus is saying. He's giving us a revelation and a vision about the heart of God. And Jesus says, listen, God doesn't write a single person off ever. What God does is he looks for them and he suffers in doing it, right? The shepherd had to go through some suffering, this concerned shepherd or this frantic mother and this heart-sick father, these beautiful images of someone who's willing to suffer to find someone that's lost. Henry Nouwen says it this way. He says that the heart of God is an open wound of love. God, in other words, God is the seeker. If you've been around church, you know that there was a, a time, it's kind of ended, this kind of model and approach has ended in some ways, but where some churches would call themselves seeker-sensitive, and what they were saying was, is, listen, people are coming, and they, they, we don't want to put fake barriers in their way because they're trying to seek God, so how do we remove barriers? And, and the emphasis was often placed on the person, rightfully so. You want to love people, but sometimes that mindset or thinking lost something 
in translation because actually the real seeker is God. God is the actual seeker of people. God's the one who's actually looking for people. And Jesus is trying to paint this vision. Do you understand? Do, do you get that God is the one who's looking for you? When, you? when someone misplaced you, you felt forgotten. Did you know that God's the one who's seeking you? God's actually looking for you. Did you know when you wandered off and you just got lost and how did I end up here? God's the one who's looking for you. When you left, when you said, I don't need God in my life. I don't need any of that religion. I don't need that kind of, what, what is that? That God's the one who's seeking. Jesus is trying to give us a vision of what God's like. Now, I need to give you uh, three implications and um, therefore our city, for our church, and then specifically for your life. I don't know what you know about our city. Um, if you were to take the population of our city, and I'm kind of expanding it here a little bit. If you took just Sedgwick County, the population is something like 590,000. But if you expand it in what are, what's known as the Wichita area, the, about the 10 counties around us, in 2019, the number of people in, this, in the surrounding area of Wichita was 790,138 people. The, the expectation, because this has been the trend for the last several decades now, is that Wichita is growing because there's an influx. I don't know if you know this, but um, the, the guy who worked with Steve Jobs, Wozniak, um, his first name eludes my brain. Yeah, Steve Wozniak, he, he was here just this last week, and he was saying to the city of Wichita, he's like, you're the new tech hub. You're going to give Silicon Valley a run for its money. And so there's all these things happening in the city of Wichita. If you know that the WSU and KU and WSU Tech are building a, a whole biotech building and school downtown that they think could have housed at one point up to 12,000, just a mile and a half or so from here, 12,000 some odd people. I mean, the city's growing. So by 2035, 871,522 people. Why am I telling you those numbers? Well, you, you know, when you get on a plane, this flew this week, when you get on a plane and they, they go through and they have what's called a manifest. And on that manifest is the list of all the people. And you know what they say about that? They say there are, and, and however many people are on that plane, you know, 137. There are 130, still, I still say this to this day. There are 137 souls on board. What are they communicating? Every single one of those people matters. There isn't a person on this plane, like in 12D, that where you're just like crammed in there and you're between, you're, just, you're a big person, you're between two big people, you know, and you're like, it's like, we don't care about 12D. No, no, uh-uh, all 137, every single person on the plane, every single person counts. So every, why am I giving those numbers? Because every single person is a soul. Every, there's that many souls on board, Wichita, and that are coming on board. So our city needs places that give it life. They, they, our city needs life-giving churches to be a part of it. We need us and many other churches to be life-giving churches. Now, why? Why, do, why, does, why does our city need life-giving churches? Well, number one, God commands it. Jesus said this about his own ministry. He said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the what? What's on the screen? What? The lost. And, and then he said, and as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. God commands it. It's like, this is God's expectation for his people. Second thing is that people need it. I've got some statistics. Yes, I can't even say the word. You know, stats. Thank you. That we're going to put on the screen here. This is just, you could do any number of things here, but in the city of Wichita, how many people are facing some sort of addiction? One in seven 
13% of people are divorced. Mental illness, 25, one of the highest rates of mental illness in the country, according to what I found. 25% plus poverty, 14.5%. That's probably, that, that just represents people who are actually at the poverty line. doesn't represent the people who just barely struggling to make ends meet. Then, based on statistics, I, I'm, I said it there, uh, the number of people who would say, I don't belong to a church. I mean, 63% of our city would say that. I, what am I trying to say? I'm just trying to paint the picture for you that people need hope. People need life. People need places and churches that say, we're about life. We're, we're about what God's about. And so we're going to go look for people. I was reading this story this week in one of the Gospels. It's told by, there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and some of the stories get repeated because they're telling you their perspective on the life of Jesus because they were the first followers of Jesus. And, and there's this story in the Gospel of Luke, and Mark tells the story too, and there's this guy, his name's Blind Bartimaeus, Blind Bart. And he's by, beside the road, and he's begging, and in that day, you, if you had, a, you had a, some kind of thing that we would now be under the ADA Act, you know, we'd have all kinds of rights if you were str- blind or you were deaf or you were lame in some way in your body. You didn't have that. So if you had that, you really, if, unless your family had the resources, which was very few families, you were put beside the road and you were a beggar. And so this is Blind Bart's life. He's beside the road and he's completely dependent on the mercy of the people walking by. And he had been on the side of the road of his life for a very long time. I, I read it, and it's a real story about a person that Jesus interacted with and how Jesus turned and saw the person. Because remember, he's, a, he's one of the souls. He sees the person, Blind Bart. And, but I, I, it, for me, it, it got bigger. The story got bigger. And I went, oh, this is a metaphor. This is, this is us. We're on the road, we're often on the road of our life, and we're just hoping so much has happened to us, we've been through so many things, and we go, I guess I'm just here on the road of my life, I guess this is just it, and we're hoping that life, or somebody, or a chance, or opportunity, or God, we don't even know what word it is sometimes, that we want, will somebody come along, and will somebody do something about my life, we're just hoping that somebody comes along. What am I trying to communicate? I'm just trying to say, People need hope. People need life. And, and the church that doesn't grow is effectively saying to their city, hey, listen, we don't care if you go to hell. You can go to hell. We don't care. So our people in our city need it, and then our city needs us. We're, we're, um, we're here for our city. I mean, are we, are we as a church opposed to some things? Absolutely. No, no question. Why? Well, because of what we're for right? I, like, I'm, I'm for my kids flourishing, so there are things that they do. I go, I don't want you to do that. It's not that I'm trying to be a heavy on them. I'm like, well, if you do that, it's going to take you away from this. And so we want to be the kind of church that's known for what we're for. We want to be the kind of church that loves our city and not judges our city. We want to be the kind of church that serves our city instead of just taking from our city. We, uh, we've said this many times since I've been here as your pastor. I've said, listen, let's be the kind of church that if we disappeared, the city and the government would say, wait, no, 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 not Wichita First Church. They can't go anywhere. We're going to have to raise the taxes. How do they do all that? How do they spin all that good into the world? Please don't leave. We need you. We want to be that kind of church. And then, um, then so there's, there's our, our city needs us. And then our church, a vision for our church. 
these, uh, these three stories, the, the, the number actually, the percentage actually goes up as the stories are told by Jesus. So it's actually, I think, a message to the church because the gospel writers wrote it to the followers of Jesus and said, now you're going to do what Jesus did. And if you read it, if you're paying attention to the math, you know, it's a sheep, it's one out of 100. So it's, you know, we're going to find 1%, which we want to do as a church. Our contribution as a local church in our city, alongside all the other churches in our city. We're not competing with any other churches. This is not a competition. We're on the same team. So we want all churches to win and succeed in our city. But then if you go to the next story, it's one out of 10. Well, that's 10%, so you need to be reaching 10%. And then, then you go to the, 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 the story about the prodigal son, the son who rejects his father, and then the other son who stays home and is bitter and mad. And, and you actually find out that there's two sons that are lost. The one son, he rejects God and goes away. The other son stays home and is religious and does all the right things, and he's mad at his father for not giving him what he wanted. You know, so Jesus is saying there's two ways to be lost and, and at a distance from God. And, and if you do the math there, it's, you could say, well, it's one son is lost. If you want to read into that, just one son, the first son is lost. That, well, that'd be 50%. But then you find out it's two out of two sons are lost. So that Jesus is, Jesus is up in the ante. It's like it's 100%. And I, I, I'm, I'm not here to tell you that we're, our, our job now, which our first church, is to be the church, the only church in our city, the entire city by ourselves. We, we can't do that. Um, but we absolutely can do our part as a local church. We've told you that we, a few weeks ago, we talked about the story of the Good Samaritan. And one way to interpret that story is that the Samaritan, the person who stops, that, that's, a, that's Jesus. That's the heart of Jesus. He stops for somebody who's different than him. And then Jesus takes the man, if you know the story, puts him on the, the man, puts him on the donkey and takes him to the inn. And many interpreters of scripture uh, across the centuries have said, well, the Samaritan is Jesus in the story, but the inn that Jesus takes this broken man to is the church. In other words, we're the place that if people have wandered off or they feel like they've been misplaced or misunderstood or even if they've just left and rejected God, in other words, they have issues in their life. If there are people who have issues in their life, that the church, we're to be a people among whom they can work out their issues. Are you following what I'm saying? I guess what I got to ask is, well, where else are you going to go to do that? And, and we're kind of going through this crisis of, in the, the broader church in America where, where there are many people who are like, I don't think the church would be the place I would go to work out my life issues because I don't, like they're either a political party disguised as a religion or they're mental or they're just out of touch. So it's, here's what it is. It's, it's, a, it's a calling from Jesus to say, okay, that might be the case for some churches, but we want to do whatever we can as a local church to change that reputation and change that expectation. And, and you've probably heard this before if you've been around, but the, the church is a hospital. It's not a museum. Like we're not putting people up on pedestals and going, look how perfect they are. <laughs> like I hope you don't see this. I know this is I, one of the things I don't, uh, I love our building, but I, I don't like about the stage. Is I'm, I feel really high up when I'm here, you know, and I want to be among the people more. And I hope you don't see this and go, well, look, there's the pastor. He's on a pedestal. He's got it all figured out. Now I'm I'm traveling with you. This is not a place where we're putting anybody up on a pedestal and going, be like them. We're saying, no, 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 no. You got issues. You need healing in your life. There's a wound. There's dis-ease inside of you, and you're not sure what to do with that. Well, we're not telling you we know how to fix that, but we know the person who heals people. 
And so this is a hospital. This is a place. It's not a museum. And then, then it's also, it's a gym, right? We just don't want to heal you. We, we want to help you be stronger. It's, we're not a spa. You know, this is not a thing where you come and have your nails done in a religious way. And um, I don't know how that works, but, you know, it's not like we cater to everybody's whims and needs. No, no, this is a place where you come and you work out. And you strengthen what's weak. So you heal and you get strong. I, it, there's a, uh, I'm going I'm to, maybe some of you who are older, you will not like this. And I may get myself in trouble with, some of you are old. Some of you are younger. You're not even going to know what I'm talking about. So I'm just going to do it anyway. There was this show uh, when I was growing up. And it was about a bar. Yeah, some of you are like, oh, I know. I know where this is going. It's called Cheers. You know, and you, you, some of you, you want to be where you can be. See, the troubles are all the same. You want to go where everybody knows your name. And, and we were, uh, I was on staff at a church in Virginia, and we were talking about, like, isn't the church, we're in this, this series, I don't remember what it was about, I wasn't the lead pastor, I was on staff, and, and I said, you know what, we were in a meet, planning meeting, I said, we should sing that song on Sunday, because that's actually a Christian song. I understand that, you know, you might like, like the reference to a bar, but that's actually a Christian, that's actually a Jesus idea. I'm not quite sure how I talked him into it, but we did, and I could see, like, the discomfort, people were like, you want to be where you can see, the troubles are all the same, it was... But it's actually a beautiful, that's the Jesus sentiment, right? If you need a word picture, like Google cheers. Okay, I'm getting myself in trouble here. Google, Google the song, the theme song from cheers, and you'll know, you'll know what I'm talking about, right? We want to be the place where everybody knows your name, where you, people can see the troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. That's a vision of the church. So then what about your life? What is this going to ask of you? Well, this is going to ask you to be a person who has passionate spirituality. We're, we're fans of John Wesley. We're from, um, he was an Anglican clergyman and he, in the 1700s and very influential. And we kind of come out of his stream of understanding of the gospel and Jesus. And, and this is one of my favorite quotes from a book he wrote about the, the life that God called him to lead. And he's here quoting two books that he read. And he said a year or two after he's talking about his journey of faith, I read these two books that were put into my hands, and, and these convinced me more than ever of the absolute impossibility of being half a Christian. Like one toe here, another toe here. I can't, he's like, I can't, I don't, I can't, I can't, work. too much split inside me, I can't do that, John Wesley says. And I determined through God's grace the absolute necessity of which I was deeply sensible of to be all devoted to God, to give him all my soul, my body, and my substance. In, in other words, here's the vision for your life, is that you would become a person of depth, that we want to help you become a person of depth. So this is, this is a vision for where God is taking you, that you're, you're going to, in the words of Henry Nouwen, he says, when you look at that story of the prodigal son and these two sons, one son leaves and the other son is bitter that God didn't do for him what he was supposed to do because he checked all the boxes and God didn't come through for him. He said, you, you, those are two paths that you could take in life. It was a great day for me because I didn't grow up where, you know, I, I went crazy in life, but I, I was in the church and I, when I realized that's what a testimony too is that I, I left behind all of the legalism and the religion, that that's also a, te- that's also a form of being away from God. And I went, that's my, that's my testimony. He's like, so that, you need a testimony. Like, he says, but the, goal, but the story you don't miss is that you and I are called to become like the Father with our arms open. 
Because that's the story. The father is looking for his son who's left. He's like, when he sees him coming, he runs to him and he grabs him. So it's a vision for where God's taking is, you is that you would become like the father. And then it's a vision for you becoming a person with great depths. Again, I'm, I, that's a word we throw around in the church. We talk about being deep, you know. Oh, it's deep. Here's what I've discovered we often mean by that. What we mean by that is you gave me some information I didn't know yet. I, listen, I'm, I'm for information. I got a master's degree. Go get a degree if you need more information. There's plenty of, the, I can give you 15 theology books. There are multiple people in here who recommend 25 other theology books. You can get all the information you want. Please do that. Theology is wonderful. It's important. Here's what I, I want to shift if that's how you think about what depth is. It's like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know that fact. No, no, depth for Jesus is character formation. And the image I'd give you is what the Apostle Paul gives in the, the, the end of his letter to the Christians in Galatia, chapter 5. He says, here's the fruit of God's Spirit in your life. It's things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self Think about this with me. Have you plumbed the depths of being a person radiating with joy in your life? Is there any anxiety in you? Like, well, okay, if there is, then you've got more depths to go, don't you? How would your life change if you plumbed the depths of being a gentle person in every way, in every scene of your life? Man, i got work to do on that. Like, that's the new... Let's make depth great again. <laughs> that's it. That's the thing. It's the fruit of God's Spirit. That's the... Inv- so when we're talking about building a vision of one per- reaching 1% of our city... I want you to make sure you hear, hear me. We're not talking about building a monument for our church. Like, look at us. We're talking about digging a well that serves people. Are you following me? We're trying to go deep, like help you go deep, like all the way down to the, the image and person of Jesus so that you become a person with great depths. And then it's a vision, and this is the last thing I'm going to call you to, and then I'm going to pray for you because the children's workers are hating me because I'm going along today. It's a vision of your, of your suffering. It's a vision of your suffering. That's a buzzword, passionate. You know, the passionate spirituality. That's a buzzword, passionate. You know, I'm really passionate about history. I'm really passionate about gardening. I'm really passionate about cars. And, and for us, passion means something that you're really into, right? You're really interested. You're really interested in cars. You're really interested in photography, or, or in this case, you know, passionate spirituality. Oh, okay, you're asking me to be really interested in spirituality. But if you go to the root of the word passion, it's from the Latin, passio. Do you know what it means, passio means? It means to suffer. <laughs> you're only passionate about what you're willing to suffer for. Now, I'll ask you, if you say I'm passionate about cars, are you willing to suffer for your car? I am not. Are you willing to suffer for your hobby in photography? Now, if you're a professional photographer, different story, right? But if you're, are you willing to suffer? No, I am not. I'll tell you, who, people who are passionate, athletes are passionate. They suffer. Parents are passionate. You all know you suffer. Come on. <laughs> friends are passionate. Why? Because you suffer for your friends. You're willing to suffer. Uh, so I'm saying you're being passionate about the way of Jesus. You're passionate about people. Listen, this is why you're like, don't end on something negative. Well, I'm just trying to call you to what Jesus is calling you to. To love is to suffer. Did you know that? Like, if you don't love some, if you don't want to suffer, don't ever love anybody. Don't ever give your heart away. 
Hold on to it, C.S. Lewis says, and it'll become this small little internal thing. No, no, but if you want to love people, I'm promising you right now, if you want to live a life full of love, you are also saying, well, I'm going to suffer at some points. Because, go with me here for a second. In the stories that Jesus tells, the shepherd suffers to go find the sheep. I guess difficult to leave everything behind and the anxiety and worry about. The woman suffers just to put everything away and she looks for the, the father suffers. Can you imagine, we didn't delve into the story of the prodigal son, but some of you have gone through this as parents. You've had children who've said, I want nothing to do with you. Creates a parent wound. I don't, I don't even have, I, I'm, I'm like, oh. And, and here's Jesus paints this picture of God as a heartsick father who's been rejected by his son. Been rejected by his kids. And, and they all suffer. What, what's the picture Jesus is painting? Like, the picture Jesus is painting is the picture of his life. And, and Jesus ends his life on a cross. What is Jesus doing on a cross? Jesus is suffering there out of love on the cross for you. Do you understand that? That's his passion for you. And it is, it is his first love. He loves you first, John says. So he loves you first. And then out of that love that he gives to you first, then you love other people. Then you're willing. So if you, you know that you have been seen and suffered for by Jesus, then you go, oh, that's what you did for me? I can turn around and do that for a few other people. And so I would ask you, your life begins to take on a purpose that you look for one person. What if in the next 12 months, we've had some conversation around this already in some of our leadership spaces. What if you looked for one person? I'm not talking about a project to take on. For you, it might literally be a son or a daughter. It might be a coworker. It might be a neighbor. It might be a friend. And what if over the next 12 months of our life together as a church, you just said, God, I... I'm willing to have my heart broken by the things that break your heart. I, I really, I'm willing to love the way you've loved me. Could you just show me who that person might be? Because when we're talking about 1% of Wichita, we're talking about one person at a time. How do we do that? Well, by loving the one right in front of me. And you're being called into that by... I hope you're hearing the word of Jesus. The word of Jesus in Luke chapter 15 is you are being called to love one. I want to invite you to stand with me, and I want to pray for you. Um, right after the service, we'll take about a three-minute thing. If you want to be a part of the all-church meeting, anyone's welcome. Be right down front. But let me pray for us and give you a blessing, and then we will be done with our time together. Jesus, thank you for this beautiful word that tells us about your heart, that you look for people. Lord, some of us grew up thinking that you look at us and that when you look at us, that means that you're disappointed in us. Jesus, help us to see what you see. You're not looking at us because you're disappointed. You're looking for us because you love us. Heal what needs to be healed in those of us who grew up around this and have that picture rolling around in our hearts so that we could see what you see. Lord, we want to do our part as a local church. We want to do everything we can to be about your business. We want to love the people that you love. Lord, we want to build a deep, deep well that people can come and drink from. Help us. 
Open our eyes and our ears to see and to hear the needs around us, Lord. Because you suffered for us on the cross, we are now willing to suffer for the needs of people around us. Make that our life's work. Fill us with your purpose today, God. Pray this in your name. All God's people said.